we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. And so on Sunday nights this year, I have focused primarily on our theme, Believe to See, taken from Psalm 27, 13, where David said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I believe Pastor Perkins did a wonderful job preaching this theme through anniversary days. And honestly, I was content to maybe just leave it alone because I thought he really closed out the theme very well. I think I'll try to ride this uh, through the end of the year here, pick up a new theme next year. But I had a different sermon for tonight because originally I was supposed to preach the Sunday night, um, two Sunday nights ago, or whatever it was there. And we ended up just giving testimonies the whole service. And so I had to retweak that sermon. I think that sermon will end on in this series on. So for tonight, we'll continue considering Believe to See, but we'll do so in Acts chapter 6. And I've been thinking about our need to believe to see. I've, it's been heavy on my heart, obviously, because that was the theme I feel God laid upon my heart this year. And I've been talking about it quite a bit and trying to get us to... Uh, walk by faith, be a church of faith, trust God, see some things that uh, maybe He has in store for us. And the idea is that we must see by faith that which we cannot see with our natural eye. There's a saying that believing is seeing, but that's not so when it comes to the Christian life. If we saw before we believed, none of us have seen Christ. And so that's not true when it comes to our, our spiritual walk. But I wonder, what is it we want to see? We must see spiritually before we will see with our natural eyes. But what is it we want to see? What does what believe to see mean to you? I wonder if we were to take time to write down what we felt we wanted God to do in our church, that we wanted to see. I wonder what we would write down. For me, I want to see God do many things. And some things I don't even share yet. But a lot of stuff's on my heart when I think about believe to see. For starters, I want to see the place packed out again like it used to be. There's so much I would want to say right there, but I'm going to save that for another time. I want to see us surpass where we were at uh, before COVID-19. And, and here's the thing. Listen, if we aren't reaching more people and growing, then what are we doing? I understand it isn't all about numbers, but I believe a healthy church will eventually be numerically growing because... They will be doing the things that God says to do, which for starters is the Great Commission. And that will be telling other people about Christ. And if you sow enough seed, you're going to see a harvest. And because I believe God wants us to grow beyond our pre-COVID numbers, I want to see God provide us with a new facility. I cannot tell you how bad I want to see that. I want to be able to see, uh, sit more people in the sanctuary. I want to see a, and hear a larger choir. Amen. 
This is where you at least pretend like you're behind me here, amen. Um, I want to hear and see a larger orchestra. And regardless, we still need a new facility no matter what because we're out of parking. We definitely need more Sunday school rooms. And the Sunday school teachers would say amen too. We definitely need larger Sunday school rooms. Amen. We've got modified broom closets down there. Amen. Um, (laughs) I want to see God provide us with a new facility because I want to see our school grow. And I would like them to have a section of their own where we don't have to share it with Sunday schools and all these things. And I even want to have a gymnasium. Not to play indoor soccer. (laughs) Right. But so we can play more games of knockout. Amen. Um, I want a new facility with enough property to house the press in the same location as the church and the school. I personally can see RV parking. I would like to see God provide us with a new facility so we can add a bookstore. I think that would be wonderful to get good reading material into your hands on a regular basis. And hold your breath. I want a coffee area. (laughs) I do. I want to sit there and have a cup of coffee like I'm in Starbucks. That's what I want to do. And I would like to have more room for fellowships. I can see it by faith. I can see more room at the altars. And the altar's packed. I can see more people lifting their voices in praise to God. I can see a productive outreach program where more souls are being reached and saved. I can see our baptistry being stirred more often. I can see purchasing a tent and having a tent meeting every summer here in town. I can see our ministries being multiplied. I can see our vans turned into buses to accommodate more children. I can see more marriages being salvaged. I can see more children being reclaimed. I can see more families being strengthened. I can see spiritual growth. I can see new converts that are being discipled. I can see us having a missions conference. I can see more missionaries being supported. I can see more people giving and I can see more staff. What do you see when you think about this church body? Believe to see. Do you see anything? I hope it hasn't just been a cute slogan this year. Are you content where we are? I don't know about you, but I hope you also want to reach our area for Christ. I want to be more effective as a church for Christ and influence more in our community. What is it going to take to get there? Well, for sure it has to be God's will. But I'm heading in those directions until God slams a door. So what is it going to take if it is God's will? I want to look at Acts chapter 6, 
and consider some things from this text. Would you look with me, please, here in Acts chapter 6. Let's read verses 1 through 7. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer, to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Pumbaa. I have to say that every time, I'm sorry. Um, Pulling for buzzards. Timon and Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased. The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So this first church, which began when Jesus went to twelve men and said, follow me, after Jesus rises from the dead, we find in Acts chapter 1 that this church had grown to 120. These are average numbers. About 120, the Bible says. And then we see in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, that 3,000 were added to the church. Does that make anybody nervous yet? Because in Acts chapter 4, there were 5,000 added on top of that. And then we read in Acts 5.14, and... Believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women. And so you're looking at a church here that is well over 8,000 strong. By the way, this growth all happened under a time of persecution. A time when believers were being scourged. They were being threatened. They were being imprisoned. They were being beaten for their faith. But as is sometimes the case, when there is persecution, the church grows and it is strengthened as a result of all of that. And you know, God might be allowing what is taking place in our country to stir His people back to life. To be bold once again. To be courageous once again. To be unashamed of the Gospel of Christ. And to stand in a world that does not want to hear about righteousness and proclaim that there is only one way, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been following the news very closely. And I can tell you that there are a lot of things that are happening out there that you will not see reported on the quote-unquote mainstream media 
of some grassroots movements that are beginning to crop up as a result of what's taking place in our country. And I believe God is stirring the nest to get His saints uncomfortable to fly to higher heights than where we're at today. In the midst of all that is unfolding which concerns us as believers today, and I would say rightly so, they should be concerning to us, there is a remnant who is beginning to wake up. And I'm excited. But I'm also challenged to look into the perfect law of liberty and see what reflects back. And to see where I stand and to see if I'm ready for what may be coming our way. I am excited overall because I believe it may just be what we need. I would say, based off of this church in Jerusalem, don't be afraid of a large church. The first mega church was the first church. I mean, just think about it because today so many are hypercritical of mega churches. Well, they must have compromised or else they wouldn't have got that big. Wait a minute. Maybe God just blessed. So, well, I don't know. They didn't have a red hymn book. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Don't be guilty of wishing against God's blessings numerically. Amen. I used to be guilty of that. I just don't want to see you be guilty of that. I remember saying, man, I just don't want to be in a church that's too big. I realize now that's foolish. If we believe we're right scripturally, then we should want everybody to be partakers of that. So this church in Jerusalem was very large. And of course, where there's more people, there's more problems. We're still battling this flesh. We are all sinners. We could probably go almost pew by pew and you could hear where I've had to apologize to almost everybody in this church at one time or another. Because I do stupid things. Amen. I, I do things I think are funny, and they're not funny at all. I'm just saying, we're not perfect. And we're going to have some things along the way that cause some, some murmurings like it did here, some contentions. Um, I wish I was God's gift to pastors, but you know that I'm not. And I wish you were God's gift to pastors, but you know that you're not. We see in verse 1 that as the number of disciples were multiplied, the murmuring began. Murmuring is never good for any organization. Even in the secular world, you don't like working in a place where it's constant murmuring and bickering and infighting and all the rest. So it's never a good thing, but I can tell you that it'll happen in every church from time to time. When Satan cannot be successful outwardly, he will try to disrupt a body of believers internally. And the issue isn't so much that murmuring has happened within a church, but the issue is how do we deal with it? How are we handling it? And in verse 1, we see that there was a murmuring which arose between the Grecians and the Hebrews. The Grecians were those who were Greek-speaking Jews. The Hebrews were Jews who spoke only Hebrew as we find in our Old Testament. And the complaint was that the Hebrews' widows 
were being taken care of while the Grecians' widows were being neglected. And we don't know the specifics, really. We're not even really told if this was, in fact, a legitimate issue. It may have just been something that was perceived. The way it is handled, I would say that there was something going on here. But it doesn't really say for sure, and it could just be that it was a perceived injustice. And unfortunately, this happens often in churches. People will sometimes perceive something that really isn't there. They will perceive something was said that was never said. They'll perceive that somebody thinks a certain way that they've never thought. People will get it into their heads that this person doesn't like me now. It may not be true. It may just be perception. Someone says, well, they're acting different now, so they kind of get, out of bit, they get bent out of shape. Well, have you ever stopped to think that maybe somebody's just having a bad day? Amen. We're having fun. Amen. <laughs> maybe somebody's just having a bad season in life. Maybe they fought on the way into church and they wanted to act like everything was fine when they got here. May I recommend you drive separate? Just stop being so judgmental, amen? Let's wait and see if somebody's just having an issue. And though our text doesn't expressly say, it could be, it could be that the Hebrews thought themselves better than the Grecians. I personally believe that's what the issue was. We know that the Hebrews did have a pride issue. We find that from other scriptures in our New Testament. It could be that as this church began to grow, there may have been some financial constraints. Remember that this was the church that sold everything. And so everyone had everything in common. And they were distributing as there was needed. Could be that as this church exploded in growth, that now they had to ration who gets what. Maybe they didn't like the way money was being handled. And I can tell you that any time a church falls into money, there's somebody that's going to get upset. Now, if you want to sell your multi-million dollar home, please do and give it to me and we'll deal with it. I don't care if you get mad at me. Amen. So, I don't know what exactly the problem was here, but there was an issue. That's for sure. The grievance was serious enough that the apostles knew that it had to be dealt with. I kind of feel like there's this hush over the crowd like, I'm about to drop a bombshell that somebody's mad at somebody. I'm not. I feel like everything's going very well. I just, just preaching the text, amen? So whatever the case, the grievance, it was serious enough that the apostles are taking it serious and they understand that this needs to be handled. So in verse 3, they have the brethren seek out seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, and wisdom who can deal with this issue and then be appointed over this business. Some debate whether or not these men were the first deacons. Doesn't matter to me one way or the other if they held the office of a deacon or not because they were certainly servants and that's what a deacon is. My personal opinion is these were deacons. But some men that I highly respect have a different opinion, but I don't really think it's worth dividing over anyhow. So whatever you hold there is fine with me. But the emphasis here is that the apostles 
did not have the time to deal with this problem. If you've ever been in leadership, you know what that's like. This is why in the military you have a chain of command. And one of the very first things that a commander is going to ask when somebody level jumps, did you ask your supervisor? Well, my supervisor's the problem. Did you ask his supervisor? Well, no. Go ask him. This is not a leadership conference, I reckon, but... What they say in verse 2 is this. It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Now, at this point, I think it's important to put this in here. Please understand that I don't think these men are saying they were above serving tables. I don't think that's what their heart was. I, I think they're just saying, look, we, we're transitioning out of the old covenant to the new covenant. we got some studying to do. And so I don't think that they're saying that they're above anything, and I don't want you to get that through this, but they're, they're just saying, look, we've got to have time to study is what we'll see here in a minute. And so it's not that they were above dealing with, but God had called them to a different position within the church body. These were the givers of the Word of God, and they state in verse 4 that we will continually give ourselves, what does it say there, to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. They said, look, we're in this body, but God has called us to do this. And I can't leave this to go take care of that. And so I need some help. Believe it or not, a church is robbed when the pastor is expected to do everything and handle every situation. And again, there's nothing out of whack. I'm just preaching the text. I don't want anybody to think, well, what's he getting at? Does he feel like he's overworked? He only works twice a week. What's going on here? <laughs> that's, that's not what I'm getting at. These other issues take pastors away from studying the Word of God and spending much needed time in prayer seeking for God's wisdom and God's vision. This is why we have deacons. Our deacons serve the church in various ways, oftentimes behind the scenes in ways that you may never even see. You may see the result of it at some point, but I haven't seen our deacon body ever try to be braggadocious about anything or get the limelight for anything. They just quietly serve the Lord. And so they, we do have deacons here in our church and they handle things which are a huge help to me Number one, I am not gifted in any way whatsoever in life. I told the Lord a long time ago, if you'll use my mouth, I'll be happy with that because I can't use my hands um, and I'm just not skilled. And so we have men who can, for example, put the windows in the doors. Have you noticed that in the classrooms? If, if I tried to do that, there'd be a hole in the door. I mean, the objective would be achieved but there'd be no glass. And so, I'm just saying God's gifted all of you differently to plug you in to the body to do things that maybe somebody else can't do. To give you an idea, when Grayson's family was in town, we wanted to be a blessing to them in providing them some meals while they were here. And so they could focus on arrangements and all those things that you can imagine they had to scramble to get ready. Well, the first night that they arrived... In town, I believe it was Saturday night. And 
So they were here Saturday, and they, I, I called them. I asked Angela, is there anything we can do to be a help? Can we bring you some meals? Is there anything we can do? And I ended up talking to one of the sons. You can imagine how that might have been. And so I talked to somebody uh, else, and they said, yeah, it'd probably be good if we could get a meal over here. And I said, wonderful, we'll take care of it. And I'm thinking internally, Lord, I don't have the time for this. I just got back into town. I'm being rushed. i got to get ready for tomorrow morning. It's already Saturday night. Uh, and so I called one of our deacons. I called Tim Wells. I said, Tim, can you please help? And he said, absolutely. And so I asked him if he would go pick up a meal, deliver it, let them know that uh, we're praying for them, all those things. And it saved me a good two hours. And I'm just simply saying, that's how it's supposed to work. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is how we help one another in the ministry. And so it was a huge help to me. It was a huge blessing for me. And, and I would say on this note, when the time's right, I'm ready to add another staff member on a church side uh, assisting me when it comes to counseling, different ministries in the church that I just simply don't have time to put into and handle properly. And if I tried to take care of all of this, um, I just wouldn't have time to study and prepare as you deserve. And I hope that you expect, I hope you expect your pastor to be laboring in the Word of God and to be praying and to not just be uh, working those two days a week as I kind of joked about. And so uh, anyway, I just say uh, it just takes all hands here helping. You see, I'm charged to feed the church of God. I take that very seriously. I want to make sure that we're not coming in here and having saltines. Now i got to take a sip of water in there. <laughs> so I'm thankful for all who work in various areas around the church because it's a great help to me as your pastor. And if a church is going to function properly, then it's going to take all of us rowing together in the same direction in one accord. We all have to see the vision. We all have to see the goal. And we all have to head in that direction together. Well, the suggestion to seek out seven men to take care of this issue was well received in verse 5. It says in the saying, please the whole multitude. Ah, a pastor's dream. <laughs> the saying, please the whole multitude. Ah. And they chose seven men. The qualification in verse 3 was that these men needed to be of honest report or they needed to have a good testimony and they needed to be full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Now, in a growing church, not everyone can fit those qualifications because we're always going to have new converts that are working on just getting rooted and grounded before they really start to grow. So there's always going to be different stages of growth in a healthy church. We should have the mature ones that are able to help the younger ones. and We ought to have people in the middle. And so there's going to be uh, some of that, I think a church ought to be a four-generational church to be healthy and strong. I just believe that. We're a, th a three-generational church at least. We've got families now that have their third generation in here. Amen. Amen. And we have those ages. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be a bloodline, but we have those ages. We have our senior saints. And we have those who can shoulder the heavier work now uh, under that. And then, of course, we have our our young people, and we have our teens, and we have our children. I believe we're seeing that here. Thank God for it. Amen. And I've had men come through, and they've commented on how wonderful it is to see the young people running around, the children, not the young people, not the young adults, Mike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we love church. Uh, and so 
but it is. It's wonderful. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I came in tonight, that is so refreshing to hear again. Just the chatter. Just the people talking. Just the, uh, the amount of people that were here in fellowshipping. And Jeff and I were talking one morning, um, maybe a couple months ago it was, but in between first service and Sunday school, just how there was noise again. And people were talking and fellowshipping and what a beautiful sound that was just to hear people here. And so anyway, I'm getting off track. But these men here, they had to be full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom. They had to have a good report. And I want to tell you that those qualifications don't just have to be for a deacon. Those can be for all of us. We can all strive to be people that are filled with the Holy Ghost and with wisdom. We can all strive to be people that have a good report. And that's what I want to emphasize. I want everyone here to strive to be that Christian and that church member that is full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom. And if you're not, listen, as you grow in your walk with God, uh, you just learn some things as you go and you get there in time. Uh, Listen, you have to first learn to be faithful to assemble. Amen. It's funny, people will come and say, man, I want to lead the teen group. Wonderful, where have you been the last uh, three months? Of course, let me just be absolutely clear, nobody's taken over the teens. <laughs> Amen. But that's, that's funny because that's the one I get most often. I want to be the teen leader. You haven't even learned to be here Sunday night and Wednesday night. Now, I don't check the giving records, but I think I should when it comes to people that get hired on. I need to know if you're even given to this church. Now, you might be slick and giving cash. That's pretty, pretty good. I got no problem with that, amen? My point is, I guess there's no way to really know. We all should strive for this. We all should seek to be faithful. We should all learn to read our Bibles. We should all learn to pray. We should all learn to witness, and we should all learn to give. And then, if you have a desire to be put to work, then we can see if you're ready to be plugged in to serve in the church somewhere. Now, there's always somewhere for people to serve, period. But to put you in some kind of a position where you're now leading something, listen, you're going to have to show yourself faithful first. Amen. And that's the Bible qualification. And then as you grow in your walk, uh, we can talk. Now, what are the results when a church body develops those who are of a good report and full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom? Well, let's look at verse 7 again. And when the word and the word of God increased, the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So, kind of picture what's happened here. There's this church that's literally growing by leaps and bounds. They have experienced exponential growth in a very short period of time, and this problem has come up. But the men of the church step up and they get to work where needed and they take care of the issue which enabled the apostles to focus on what God has called them to do and this is what the result is. First thing we see is the Word of God increased. And then we see the number of disciples multiplied greatly. And then we see a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Let's quickly just take these in order here. The first thing that happens when we get our act together is, number one, the Word of God increases. It's never a bad thing 
when the preachers are allowed to labor in the Word of God. Because it causes the Word of God to increase. It causes the Word of God, in other words, to grow in your heart. It gives you more, it gives you better pasture to feed from. And it helps you grow. I can tell you when I was first called as pastor, I was still active duty. I remember some of you came up to me and said, are you okay? And I said, yes. Trying to do a full-time active duty job and also pastor is very difficult. Now, some, some churches you have to because they cannot support a pastor financially. Thank God y'all are able to do that. That's a huge help for me. But that's not, not all churches can do that. And so uh, some just unfortunately have to work. But you're going to be blessed if you can have those that work in the ministry supported by the ministry. And that's the Bible way. Uh, those who preach the gospel should live of the gospel, the Bible says. In other words, that should be what takes care of them. And so, the Word of God increases. Matthew Henry made this observation. Now that the apostles resolved to stick more closely than ever to their preaching, it spread the gospel further and brought it home with more power. I really like that. It brought it home with more power. And so those who have opportunity to really just zero in on that, you'll find that. I remember Pastor Williams said to me once, and maybe he said it to all the preacher boys and all the church. I really don't remember in what context he said it, but he said this, I purposed years ago that I would labor in the Word. And those of you who were here know how good we were fed. Amen. Amen. The better the Word of God is prepared and served, the better the seed is sown and the more likely it will increase. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. What we should desire to see is a situation where those in the ministry can addict themselves to the ministry, as the Bible says in a different place, addicted to the ministry of the saints. And those who can devote all their time to labor to that end. When the Word of God increases, this is a result of having those in the church that are qualified and willing to assist in other areas of the church. The second thing we see is that the number of disciples were multiplied greatly. Once their problem was properly handled, and once people were assisting, and once the preachers were able to focus on their studies and their prayers, what happened was it led to even more growth. Because the Word of God had increased, not just in the hearts of the people, but it increased as it went out, as it was being sown. And because of that, there were even more people being added to this church. And again, growth is the sign of a healthy organism. And, it, and listen, I want you to understand that what we're talking about here in Acts chapter 6 wasn't just growth for the sake of numbers. But what they were doing was they were reproducing by having disciples. Amen. And that's the key. What it says is that the disciples had multiplied. Is that what it says? Let me find it. The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And so they were reproducing themselves. And that's what Christians ought to do. It's not just enough to come in here and have church. 
But we need to go out and we need to win others and bring them in and then disciple them and see them be able to take on roles in the church. Because one day, the pastor is going to get old. One day, the press director is going to get old. Amen. I'm not being ugly. That's just life. And we have to always be preparing more people. We have to be investing. I'll get to that in just a second. So uh, we, we've got to make sure that we're not just seeing people come in, but that we're seeing disciples, that we're multiplying in disciples, that we're reproducing more servants. We must invest in the next generation. We must invest in new converts. And we must actively disciple people to get them grounded in the truth and what God expects from a Christian. How God expects His child to act. That whole process has been completely kicked out of so many areas that now we don't know what Christianity is. In churches. We could walk into different churches in the town. We'll get so many different flavors. And I'm not against the flavors sometimes, but listen, sometimes it is out of bounds. So anyway, we've got to be investing in people, discipling, getting them grounded. We must have servants. We must invest in young servants. I loved it. I can't remember when it was done, but some time ago we had the service where the young people did everything. Hey man, I can't wait to do that again. Have them taking up the offering and preaching and doing the music and all those things. And so we need to invest in our young people. I like how... Our, our teen group is right now. I really do. I like the fact that the, our teen boys are praying. Amen. Praying out loud. Amen. I would have been too scared to do that back in the day. But we've got some young men that are able to pray. Amen. I love praying with my boys up here on Wednesday nights. It's amazing to hear them. And so anyway, we've got to invest in these young people. We must invest in new preachers and young preachers and give them opportunities to teach and preach. We must invest in all manner of servants. We must help them find their talents and then plug them in and get them to work when they're ready. But now listen, obviously there must be a willingness on the part of those who are seeking these things. You have to be willing to be discipled. You have to be willing to take constructive criticism. The process doesn't just magically happen, but it takes work by those who are mature enough to teach, and it takes work by those who say they are willing to learn. Young people come and they, they share their burdens, and it's like, okay, well, uh, let's do this, this, and that, and then they disappear. No, I didn't really want to do anything. I just wanted you to know how godly I am. I misunderstood then. All right, I'm getting snarky. But that was the truth. The third thing we see as a result of this pattern is that a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. I'd like to shut the Catholic Church down by winning all the priests. Amen. Once a church... Want, listen now, I want you to get this. Once the church weathers persecution from without, and once they handle the murmurings from within... Once the pastor is able to focus on study and prayer, and once there are enough people full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, and once people are serving, I want you to get this, then the church begins to influence their community. Amen. That's where you take it to a higher level. 
That's where we need to strive to get. We're doing okay. We can maintain this the rest of our time, I believe. But are we really making an influence in the community? You see, this church in Jerusalem was now seeing even more people added who had position in the community. And in their case, it was the priest. That's very significant because it was the priest who were so hateful against the Christians at one time. And now those priests are beginning to be one. Let me put it to you this way. The enemies of Christ are beginning to be one. Amen. Influence in the community. They are now turning Jerusalem upside down. Because now the leadership is beginning to see what's happening. They're beginning to buy into the truth. Imagine a church where you reach those who can affect civil policy at our local level and our state levels. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Could you imagine a church where you're producing people who go on to be governors? Maybe the White House? Listen, that all starts at the local church level. It's got to start somewhere. If we want godly people in government, we've got to start here at the church level. Imagine our senators and our congressmen being godly officials. Imagine our courts being packed with godly judges. It all starts here. And what we see here in verse 7 is this is what it looks like when a people are faithful to get involved and are full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom. The same thing would happen later on in Antioch with Barnabas. The Bible says in Acts 11.24, For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. But a church is never going to get to that place if they're always dealing with internal murmurings. If the pastor and the staff are always being pulled in directions which take them away from the main thing. A church must be a people of good report and full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. We're never going to get to that level if we don't accomplish the fundamental things well. You see, a people that are full of the Holy Ghost don't have to be convinced to be faithful to the house of God. Man, I've beat my head against the wall this year through COVID, and I'm, I'm done. I can't change anybody. It's got to be the Holy Ghost. People that have the Holy Ghost are full of the Holy Ghost. They'll be where they ought to be. You don't have to convince people that are full of the Holy Ghost to pray. You don't have to convince them to witness. You don't have to convince them to be faithful in their giving. You don't have to convince them to read the Word of God. A people full of the Holy Ghost want to serve. So how is it we'll see those things come to pass which we're believing to see by faith? I don't know what's on your list. I gave you some of mine. How does that come to pass? Well, it just doesn't happen when we do nothing. But it'll be when we get rid of the internal nonsense and get serious about being right with God. Wanting to see Him do great things among us. We must be full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom. Then the Word of God will be increased. Then disciples will be multiplied greatly. And then there will be an impact in our community. And I wonder tonight if you see yourself in any of this. Maybe you are one 
who is too busy complaining about everything. If it's a legitimate issue, please bring it up. We want to deal with those. You can go to me. You can go to a deacon. You can bring it up. We'll get to work on it. But maybe it's not really an issue of all, at all. And you're just making a big deal over nothing. Maybe you know you need to be closer to God. That you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And that you need to increase in wisdom. Get busy at it. It's not just going to happen. It's going to take investment on your part. Maybe you need to sign up for our discipleship class in January. And you say, you know, I've just never really been discipled. I, you know, I, I understand we use the King James. I get it and I believe it, but I really don't know why. Maybe you need to sign up. Amen. Now, I really don't understand. What, what, what's so big about giving? I don't understand. Sign up for a discipleship class. Maybe you feel you are ready to serve. Well, let us know. I mean, if you come to me and say, look, I'm ready to be the pastor, I'm probably going to say no. <laughs> Unless it's that Justin guy, and then I'll say yes. <laughs> because according to Facebook, he's much better than that other pastor. <laughs> if you come to me and you want to lead the teens, it's not going to happen. Brother Long's been called to do that. If you come to me and you want to take over the choir, it's not going to happen. Brother Long's been called to that. Amen. You see what I'm saying? You can come to me and you can want to do things, but you also have to be willing for me to say, sorry, no vacancy, can I plug you in somewhere else? Amen. All kidding aside, if you want to be the pastor, we'll do it. We'll swap. <laughs> um, I would love it for a month just to see how that goes. Anyway. Um, so if you feel like you're ready to serve, let me know. Uh, we'll see about getting you plugged in. You say, well, what kind of things do you have for me to do? Uh, I may ask you to grab a, a broom. Amen. And listen, I do that. I do it almost every Sunday morning. I'm out there sweeping. I try to do it before anybody gets here. So there's always something to do. But we need to get serious about what we're doing as a church. I don't want to just have a club called Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. But I would like to have something that God looks down upon and is very pleased with. But that's going to require us getting busy. We're going to have to take an extra step that we haven't taken yet. And I believe that's coming this next year. We're just going to have to find a way, even in the midst of COVID, we're going to have to find a way to get out there and saturate our city. We just got to get creative. And I'm not creative, so we'll figure it out. We'll talk to girls. They know that stuff. Amen. <laughs> Make some bracelets, say, LBT, are you with me? <laughs> well, I love this church. I'm so glad God has called me here. I hope to labor here till he returns or I go one. But let's, let's try to shift this thing into another gear. We had to downshift because of COVID. Let's try to get some momentum back up. Let's uh, push in the clutch, go to another gear. And let's see what God has for us. Amen. So let's be a people full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, and a people of good report, and then let's get busy in our community. Let's pray.